0: Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. For those of you who have listened before or who have been following Jew in the City online at JewintheCity.com and on one of our eight social media platforms, I'll list them now, Facebook, Twitter, blog, Pinterest, Instagram, BuzzFeed, Tumblr, did I get them all? Something like that. The content that we promote is meant to spread kiddush Hashem, positive stories about Orthodox Jews, break down stereotypes, um, really to show the side of the Orthodox community that we often don't see in traditional media. These were the things that I didn't understand, that my family and friends didn't understand as I made my transition over. That was really what Jew in the City was founded on. Uh, After several years of putting out this positive content, uh, I started hearing from some people who grew up in the Orthodox community and had less positive feelings, had less positive experiences, and their sense was that to be so positive was whitewashing and not you know, facing the challenges of the community. And um, In my defense, what I was putting out there was really how it had looked to me. Thank God I came from a very nice home in the secular world and a very stable upbringing. And then I transitioned into just a very nice, open, positive life in in the Orthodox community. But as I heard from these people who had experienced different types of abuse, different types of challenges, what I realized is that not everybody, unfortunately, um, is able to have the positive experiences. For some people, there are very difficult things that come about due to their observant lifestyle. And um, you know, my my rabbi, my rav, is a big believer in not being afraid to speak out against the bad stuff, that uh, the idea of shtika kahoda comes from the Talmud, that um, when we remain silent, it's like we are tacitly agreeing, and that when we are able to speak out against the problems, then we're able to reflect and improve and grow and do tshuva and become better, which is the essence of of being a Jew. So um, after I heard from some of these people in the last few years, um, I heard first from someone who had been abused in the Orthodox community, I heard from people who had problems with obtaining a Jewish divorce, different people who experienced challenges and being raised in such ultra, ultra uh, families and communities that there was no room for self. So Jew in the City started getting involved in dealing with these topics, um, discussing them, publicizing them, speaking out against these problems. And so um, it makes some people uncomfortable. Some people are happier to only talk about the positives, only discuss Kiddush Hashem, and for those people... Um I guess I would um, you know, kindly say to them that we need to be honest about who we are, where our challenges lie, um, because if, if we truly want to be a Kiddush Hashem, then we need to be able to always be improving and not let innocence get hurt. And on that note, um, I'd like to introduce our guest for today. Her name is Debbie Fox. She's the founder and creator of the internationally recognized safety kid program. Debbie Fox has facilitated a unique partnership between schools, families, and children to create a safer world for our community's youngest members at home, school, and camp. Guided by her passion for keeping children safe, she established and Yaladeem Children's Safety Institute in 2013 and currently serves as director, consulting throughout the world on abuse prevention and intervention. A licensed social worker, Debbie also lectures frequently and has published within her area of expertise. Her work as a consultant has been utilized by county and state agencies in areas of child, family, and cross-cultural sensitivity training for which she has received letters of honor and recognition. Debbie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for uh, being involved with such important work. This is nothing that we've gotten too, too involved. We've written some blog posts. We've, you know, posted articles, you know, when there's been some major stories in the news. But um, anyone that's picked up a paper anytime in the recent past, knows that the Orthodox community has some issues in, in the area of abuse. So can you tell us a little bit about what um, the organization's mission is and what, what sort of inspired you to found this?
1: Sure. Um, I started, to, I, I actually began my work about 15 years ago in Los Angeles with, uh, I worked at the time at Jewish Family Service in Los Angeles, and I had a group of rabbis that I worked with and what happened was that this is really close to fifteen years ago, about three different cases came forward of sexual abuse within the Orthodox world. And they came to me and to this group of rabbis and the 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 I think the fact that three cases came within six months at proximity really was able to break through any barrier. It really broke through any denial that this could happen because so much happened so quickly. And at that point, uh, the rabbis said to me, um, we have to really focus on prevention. We have to make sure that we know we've made an effort to make sure this doesn't happen within our communities. They started at the time because all of the issues, those three initial cases actually involved um, schools So they started with developing a conduct policy and behavioral guidelines within schools to create safety within schools. Well, within a year, all these other cases came forward, and they didn't involve schools. So they immediately said to me, okay, now you've got to look at how do you develop a program that will empower children, so children, wherever they are, these children will be able to look at how to say no or what to do or how to prevent. We we need to empower children. So I actually spent about a year researching programs. This is well before the day of Google and, um, you know, phoning people and getting packages until we found a program that we felt would be culturally sensitive and yet was tried and true. And we used the program from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And every year we've added components to the prevention model that we've developed. And that's how we began.
0: And you know, this is a question that I've wondered for a while and probably a lot of our listeners are, are wondering as well. And I don't know if there's a simple answer. Probably it's not, but I'll ask you anyway because I have you here. Is abuse worse in the Orthodox community? It, we, it, it certainly feels um, like we've been bombarded by headlines you know, for the longest time now of people that were trusted and leaders and um, people that are supposed to be holy. Do you think that it's just where it sticks out more because you expect a rabbi to be better, or do you think that we actually do have a worse situation than other communities?
1: You know, I always say I don't have a statistical answer for that, um, and I don't have a statistical answer for that. I can just say that it certainly hurts more when it's ours, mm-hmm. um, and it, and it does. It's very the 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 issue is that I think is within the last ten years. Certainly, ten years, the Orthodox community has been more open to this coming out both both on a, a personal level, meaning a child will tell, whereas 20 years ago a child wouldn't tell, 15 years ago a child wouldn't tell. Today there is a, much, a child is much more likely to tell. A parent is much more likely to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, so So much more is coming out now. I think the world, the Orthodox world, is much more open to hearing and to intervening. I'm not going to say that some of that didn't happen because of all the bad publicity. I'm mm. not going to say that that didn't impact and affect that people are realizing we can't keep this under the carpet. We can't.
0: But uh, the um, world in so general think- also has had a shift in sort of how we understand abuse because you have these um, prep schools, pars men, right? That are supposed to be sort of cream of the crop that also covered up abuse that also had a different way of dealing. Or was it just in the seventies and before that people just thought like, ah, what's touching? No big deal. Just move on with your life. I'm saying like, there's been a shift in general for everyone?
1: I think it's been a major shift for everybody. I mean, just look at the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it all, everything, it's all changed. It's been a major shift in about the last 10 years or 12 years. It's been a major shift. Uh, so it, it is, it's really become a world where that is no longer acceptable. I think it was not talked about, period. Not anywhere.
0: Do you know of any historical event or what change, uh, discovery in the field of psychology? Do you have any idea how and why this change took place in people's understanding of the the seriousness of abuse?
1: I think th- I think it's the Catholic Church. Uh-huh, that was the uh-huh, I think the tipping that, point, right? And I think that um, Penn State only really uh really emphasized that even it can even happen in so to speak the greatest of the greats mm-hmm. and that it has it has impact you can't get away with it just because you're the greatest of the greats you mm-hmm. know so i think between penn state which is much more recent but i think the fact that the catholic church was brought to task uh, i i think that and I, I to be honest there's a lot i have learned from how the catholic church has dealt with it Mm-hmm. a lot of positive in what they have done. Mm-hmm. I've, I've used a lot of their documents to help me in looking at community approaches towards preventing abuse. Hmm.
0: And so so you're, in, I mean, obviously there's all the stuff to clean up that happened before and all the people that were, you know, had their lives ruined. And um, really I became not more interested because it's not that I was not interested. It just hadn't come onto my radar uh, An abuse survivor and I even knew now to call survivor, not victim. I wasn't even aware of that sort of terminology. Contacted me. We had many ongoing conversations. And I saw what a shell of a human being he had become from this. And it really um, made me so much more empathetic to how serious um, you know, this, this issue is. So your approach is let's try to educate children before anything can even happen. Let's create an, an empowered generation of children who will hopefully notice the signs of something wrong so that we can hopefully prevent it and and shrink this problem in our community so what where um, is your programming happening can you tell us a little bit about like what the children are learning about Um how, how does this work
1: so my approach really is it's, it's almost just what you said about this person that you met that you had all this conversation with who's a shell of a person my approach is we all as a community have to do everything possible to make sure that doesn't happen. We have to create a community that can't allow it. I always say it takes a community to prevent abuse and it takes a community to allow abuse. And we have to be that community to prevent abuse. And the approach that I use is I go into a community and I teach school staff administration about policy to make sure that A, nothing happens within the school, nothing can happen within the school because there's such transparency and such strong policy, and that if something does happen, they all know how to intervene, whether it happens in school or has happened at home, and they find out about it with the child, that, they, that there are strong policies about what has to happen. I then go in and I spend two hours with staff. With staff, it's really about two pieces. A, how can staff identify it and deal with it? If children come to them or children in their classroom, how do they identify it? And the second piece is you as staff, what are appropriate boundaries, and what is okay and what is not okay behavior between staff and students, and setting that really clearly. And then we go into parents, and we spend two hours with parents. We do all this before we go to the kids. We spend two hours with parents, and with parents we sit and talk about Many many holistic ways of building a prevention system, open communication, and a prevention system at home as parents. And where is this
0: programming occurring? Is this is at camps? This is at schools?
1: So this I do have a separate camp training program, but this program two models. One is we just go directly into a school and do it in the school, and the other is we do a community model where we train a community agency and they then run it in the whole community so for instance, Chicago, Florida, Cleveland, Toronto, um, Detroit uh, there's one area in Queens, an area in Far Rockaway, Crown Heights those all have community models meaning they've been trained they run it every year in their community they go into all the schools they every school in those areas has had. The administrative training, staff training, parent training, and all of the children are trained so and do, do you have a sense of how many
0: people these programs have touched or how many people have heard these lectures, 30, these workshops
1: 000. right over thirty five thousand kids hmm. and in terms of adults, it's much harder for the tracking has been much harder. I think we're probably talking somewhere around ten thousand
0: hmm. but wow, um, amazing. Yeah. So yeah. what is it's is success? Is success um hearing more reports I and mean, because I think in a way that probably would be success more people coming forward even though that seems like uh,
1: in a in a certain way success is hearing more reports but I'll tell you what to me is bigger success. To me is bigger success is hearing these parents call me with the little stories and basically letting me know how their child told them how they wouldn't. Is it okay for me to give you just a short little story here? Oh, please do. Okay. So, a uh, parent called me. He told me that it was a father who called me. He said his wife made him go to a parent workshop, and he didn't want to go. He said, "I don't, I don't need these things," but he went because his wife forced him. And he said to me, "You might have recognized me. I was sitting on the back seat near the mechitza with my head in a safer the whole time." letting everybody know I wasn't going to pay attention. He said, but I did. In the meantime, right after Pesach, he called me. This was a couple weeks before Pesach that I gave the lecture. He called me right after Pesach. He said that on Pesach, his son was walking home. His son was 11, was walking home with a 15-year-old boy. As they were walking home, the 15-year-old boy says, my zipper is open. The boy says, close it. He says, I don't want to." The boy shrugs his shoulders. The boy says, I want you to open your zipper. He said, no. He said, the boy proceeded to tell him what he wanted to do. He wanted to go down into the boy's basement, and he wanted to play a game. And he was very explicit with the boy about what that game included. The boy hmm. crossed his arms and stomped, walked. He he stomped strongly, didn't talk to him. Tom Strongly walked into his house. His mother was sitting in the um, living room with all her relatives. It was Pesach, right? He mm-hmm. walked over, he said, Mom, I have a do tell. Mm-hmm. He walked into a pri- she said to her friends, I need to go. And her relatives. And she walked into a private room with him and he said, Mom, I have a do tell. He said, I know I was supposed to say no, but I couldn't yell the word no. So I crossed my arms and I stomped because that was the loudest way I could say no. Let me tell you what happened because he wanted to talk about my private parts and I know that's an automatic do tell.
0: Hmm. It's so that's empowering. It's like just uh, it's so inspiring that's to get kids. Right. And I've had it
1: time after time after time after time where children will call will it's what we call an automatic if a Anybody wants to talk about, look at, or touch the private areas of your body, it's an automatic do-tell. You have to tell your parent or a trusted adult immediately. And and you really en- engage the kids in this, and they do, and we hear about it, and we teach how to respond to it. Um, and the numbers of stories that come in are incredible.
0: Hmm. You know, this is actually um, something...
1: primary
0: prevention. You know, I talked to my kids from a very young age about, um, you know, inappropriate touching, and it reminds me of something that came up with them, thank God, nothing serious, but um, what I realized is that I only told them about someone shouldn't touch you, but I never thought to tell them someone shouldn't ask to look at you and someone shouldn't ask you to touch them and someone shouldn't ask you to look at them. I'd only had the... Don't let someone touch you conversation, but realize that it was really four things. Don't touch, don't be forced to touch, don't um, look, don't be forced to show. So that's sort of something I want to just tell our listeners now, too, um, that I'm remembering. Um, And I don't know if people uh, think about that enough when they tell their children. So you have a new project that you're working on now called Seminary Savvy. Now, for our listeners that are not so familiar with what happens to a lot of Orthodox kids after high school, many boys will go to yeshiva for the year, usually in Israel. Many girls will go to seminary for the year, usually in Israel. Um, Sort of a gap year in between high school and college. Um, And there has been some, unfortunately, some inappropriate touching behavior, abuse of power in some of these situations. And and you wrote a book to educate girls going into Israel. Am I correct? Yes, yes. Right. And so can I you tell us a little bit about like, what, what this book, you know, what, what a person would find in this book if they were to purchase it? What what sorts of behaviors and things could come up in a situation where a kid is away from home for the first time?
1: Great. The, the, the book is a very, it's actually a very holistic book and it really approaches, like you said, just being away from home and going to Israel, you're going to another country, you're going to be away from your parents for that long in another country for a long period of time. And so it's very holistic, and it really talks about lots of the different issues that girls experience in seminary. You know, in a very you know, easy and primary way, we talk about nutrition and eating, and any. we're now doing these seminary-savvy workshops all over the country for girls, and the first thing we'll ask girls is how many girls are are fearful that you're going to gain weight. They all raise their hand. They're all afraid of gaining weight. And so one of the things we talk about is nutrition and weight-related issues. We talk about sleep because uh, everybody knows that in your seminary year, you spend all night doing kumsitzes and deep, you know, their DMCs, their deep, meaningful conversations. The truth is they lose a lot of their year because they haven't slept all night. Mm -hmm. Um, So we talk about just light things like that. We talk about transportation in Israel. Transportation is a very big deal. Um, people, you know, trying to get rides in my my day, we used to call it tramping. We certainly mm-hmm. don't allow, we don't encourage any of that. Um, even cabs, that it has to be a Jewish cab from an agency that their school recommends. Um, and, you know, just the, the whole issue of transportation and, and doing that safely in Israel taxis, taxi drivers, all those kinds of things. These girls are in situations where they're doing chesed in people's homes once a week um, and where, you know, they have invitations and they're eating at strangers' homes all the time. And these all really are wonderful experiences for most girls. Really, really enriching, growing, wonderful experiences. We want to make sure they stay that way for everybody, Mm -hmm. that everybody comes back with wonderful stories. But... If anything were to happen that was appropriate, then we want them to know what is that and how do you handle it and how do you get out of it quickly and tell the right person. Mm-hmm. That's really what we're looking at. That It's that same primary prevention. With these girls, what we really work on, i said, say there's two deep premises. One is learning to trust their inner voice. And the, the, the fascinating thing is we do these workshops now with girls really hard to help them to understand what that inner voice is what that gut feeling is how to listen to it we keep telling them if it talks to you turn up the volume Mm -hmm. listen and then when you listen what we want them to do is if they have a question don't wait till something's happened Mm -hmm. if you're unsure if you're uncomfortable talk to a trusted adult that's the Mm -hmm. second premise really focus on who can you talk to And the talking needs to not only happen after something's in an urgent crisis situation. It has to happen early on where you are unsure about something. And that's Mm -hmm. really the biggest primary prevention is being able to trust an inner voice and to um, have a trusted adult so that they can talk things about it. We do talk about things like grooming behaviors, uh, people who want to develop a special relationship with them and how to understand that. And we talk about inappropriate relationships and what are boundaries. Um, so we talk about all of that in the book uh, and for them to set limits and for them to know that the two things we tell them that are, you know, really kind of those never-fail rules of that, they have to remember halakha. Halacha is relates to... You know, Nagia, not being touched by a male, and Yehud, not being alone in a room. And those are the two things that should let them always know that, that anybody who crosses those lines in any way, it's an absolute red flag, and mm-hmm. that has to be dealt with immediately. Those should never be crossed. Nobody mm-hmm. can ever tell them there's a reason to cross them. They should mm-hmm. never be crossed. Mm-hmm. So it, it
0: gives And away. do you think the girls are more vulnerable in the seminary year than, for instance, someone going to sleepaway camp? Is it a unique challenge?
1: <laughs> That's a really good question. It is a unique challenge because they're away for a year and they don't have people to talk to. But um, sleepaway camp, we highly encourage that parents talk to their children before they go to camp as well. Sleepaway camp is also a very vulnerable period of time.
0: And we're we're in that time. I mean, we're we're here right now. It is upon us. I guess also the the difference is that someone being molested in sleepaway camp that would be like a pedophile sort of situation. Where a woman in seminary, I mean, she she's a young woman at that point. She, in terms of uh, an Orthodox woman, very inexperienced, very innocent. Um, but really, it could be a man with just normal, um, I wouldn't say normal urges, but I'm saying non. Pedophilic, or just does that? Is that an important distinction? That it maybe is that a it, larger, a broader group of just creepy, gross rabbi men. Right,
1: right. You're right, and a lot of people don't realize that. I'm really glad you brought that up because a pedophile is an adult who has an interest in children. That's really what it is, and in camp, it may not be pedophilia if it's a counselor who's 18 or 19 year old with a younger camper who may be four or five years younger, that's not necessarily pedophilia. It's inappropriate. It may It's against the law. It's inappropriate. It's molestation, but it may not be pedophilia. Um, and you're right with these girls. It's not pedophilia. It may be that um, the girls have, like you said, you know, somehow or another a, a creepy guy, really overextended, and he just... Um, was attracted to her, and went to, went after it. And it could be that he's inappropriate a lot and all the time, and there are always girls he's inappropriate with. And so it, it could be either of those. Um, and it, like I say, it doesn't have to be within the school. That's why we want them to be clear about, is it the Chesed father? And is there a situation? This One of the things that's really wonderful in this book is that it was read by girls who have gone to seminary, it was read by girls who were going to seminary, it was read by parents, it was read by women who went to seminary years ago, by machanjas, by by every level of person-related, and they've all given us vignettes. There are probably close to a hundred little vignettes in there, and they're all real. Hmm. And what... Beauty is that in every one of these situations, you see something that happened that a girl's inner voice could help with. So mm-hmm. let's just say a chesed family that they're going to. When if the father were to say, "My wife isn't here. She'll be back with the kids in an hour, but you can come sit and wait," that's a no. You mm-hmm. can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you can't be alone in a home with a man, who's not you know who's not your own family. You can't mm-hmm. do that. That's a red flag.
0: And also probably the libby situation probably also changed, was a game changer for the from community in us recognizing that there may be more enemies within than without because I think a lot of kids are trained to see a man in a yarmulke, a woman in a wig and say this is family, this is safe and would you, would you say I'm correct about that?
1: Uh, absolutely. It's, that's why we say it, it doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter. Nagia's, Nagia is Nagia and And meaning they they can't touch you and they cannot um, be alone in a place with you. And that's it. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't care if if they're modern Orthodox and don't keep to that in their own relationships with their boyfriends. but when mm-hmm. it comes to staff and adults and men and whatever, those two rules will keep you. They'll keep mm-hmm. you safe.
0: And where can someone purchase a copy of this book?
1: Uh, I think it's pretty much in all the Jewish bookstores, or um, at MenuchaPublishers dot com, or at seminarysavvy.com dot com, or Seminary. Mm-hmm. And can Savvy.com they get it like on Amazon as well? Or yeah, it's actually on Amazon too.
0: Yeah. As I was asking the question, I was thinking, Allison, it's two thousand and fifteen. You can get all books on Amazon as well. Um, and I guess just <laughs> to to wrap things up, um, are we getting better? Are we getting closer to? where we need to be as a community? Is that anything that over your you know, decades of experience you, you see that we are getting to that more ideal state that the Torah has of you know, uh, what's hurtful to you, don't do it to someone else, don't stand idly by your neighbor's blood, these basic tenets of the Torah. Are we getting closer to that?
1: I think we're getting so much better. I'm telling you, just in going to so many staff workshops, doing staff workshops and doing parent workshops and doing, and how excited everybody is about wanting to know how to talk to kids, wanting to know what we're teaching kids. I I really do. In fact, just one little thing I'll tell you in closing is, right now the people who are hounding me down to help develop programs for them the most are the Yiddish-speaking community. Hmm. I'm working very, very actively with the Hasidish community. So, yes, I think that parents are getting it. They want to know natural ways and holistic ways of speaking to their kids. When you look at the book, Sam Savvy, it's very holistic. It speaks very softly to girls. It, mm-hmm. th- it, there are no scare taxic, tactics in there. It's a very conversational book with the girls, almost Joan Rivers type, you know, girl us mm-hmm. talk kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. not at all scary, and it shouldn't be scary. It's a conversation, and these things have to become conversations. How to keep our children safe has to become natural, ongoing, Conversations.
0: And you know, that's an interesting I, point I, you bring up, I'll, I guess I'll close with this. A friend recently told her daughters about these, you know, challenges, this type of abuse that's out there. And she said she felt like, you know, they lost their innocence after the conversation that suddenly the world became a much more dangerous place. And I think it's just one of those balances that you have to do. You have to actually keep the world a safe place by letting them know what the dangers are. So when I'm out with my kids and we're in a, in a large crowded area, I will use the opportunity to say to them, do you know what your address is? And do you know what your phone number is? And if we got separated now, who would you speak to? You're going to look for someone in a uniform. You're going to, these are the conversations that we have to have not to make the world seem more scary to our kids. But I think that when they know that we've discussed how to stay safe, ultimately it will make them feel more secure in the world and where they're living in. Debbie, thank you so much for being uh, one of the people that's helping to fix this problem and being one of the, really, the Kiddush Hashem stories, not afraid to face uh, some of the darkness uh, in our community, but um, help turn it to light. And uh, and best of luck with this book. And uh, you can get Seminary Savvy if you or a girl in your life is going off to seminary this August. Thanks so much for listening, and you can join us same time, same place next week.